All right, guys, so we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you guys are able, please stand with me. We're going to read God's word as we do every week. If you're online, the uh, words will be on the screen as well. So I'll read the first verse, and then you guys will read. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong to the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now it's your turn. And endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead, and this is the good news I preach. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. If you would, pray with me as we invite God into our time. Dear Father, we thank you that we can come to you and that you are in this place. Lord, we want to meet with you this morning. We're desperate to hear from you. We're desperate to to know you this morning from your word. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to understand all that you have from your word. And we invite you in this time. Amen. All right, so a few years ago, my family and I, we had the opportunity to travel all the way to Europe when we were in the city of London. And if you ever get a chance to go, it's a beautiful place. You should do it. But as we were in London, we, were, we noticed that, uh, you know, it's a historic city. It's a very modern city. But you see kind of all these vestiges of World War II and things that had happened. And there's an image on the screen here in just a moment. This is a place that we stumbled upon. It's called St. Dunstan's in the East. And it's this beautiful old Gothic church that got bombed during World War II by the Germans. And so the, the ceiling is gone, and they just turned it into a public park. And so you see where the windows were. And all throughout the city of London, you see this, where, where there was damage. Because we, we kind of forget during World War II how much uh, damage and bombing that, that the UK and London particularly suffered. So September 7th, 1940, the German blitz bombing began for 57 consecutive nights, the city of London was, was bombed by the Germans. 57 consecutive nights. That's like two months almost. Night after night after night, the bombs were falling. Night after night after night, the people had to hide, and they'd wake up to find their buildings or their homes destroyed. There was 55,000 casualties in the Blitz over two months. 55,000 casualties. That's like the size of a small city. It's huge. It's a huge amount of people, 55,000. At that time, there was this idea that if they were ever invaded, they were going to use this slogan to try to encourage people. And this is what they came up with. Keep calm and carry on. You guys have heard that, right? You've probably seen it on a coffee mug. So night after night after night, the bombs are falling. And it's like, oh, keep calm and carry on. You know, no problem, right? Night after night, 55,000 people dead. While optimism is a good thing to have, we can sometimes overlook the reality of circumstances. Sometimes people can be a little Pollyanna-ish, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, cheer up, everything's going to be great, you know, your dog died, it's fine, you know. We, we have this, this mentality sometimes, just a little too chipper for the situation. Um, some of us are a little more pessimistic. <clears throat> well, optimism is a good thing. Sometimes the bombs, they're dropping all around us every day, right? Things are happening left and right. Financial issues, marital issues, things with our kids, things with our job, things with our health, things uh, that we are going through, sin that we're struggling with. Night after night, it seems sometimes, the bombs are dropping. 
And if you have fear and anxiety, being courageous may seem out of reach. So this morning, we're going to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2 is written to Timothy, who was this very young pastor who was mentored by the Apostle Paul. And uh, if you read First and Second Timothy, the funny thing is, is you get this impression that Timothy was, was actually kind of afraid of a lot of things. We call them timid Timothy. That's what I like to call him, timid Timothy. He was kind of, he, was, he wasn't a real courageous dude, okay? Let's just be honest. He was not real courageous. And many of other Paul's associates and friends and, and other pastors were quitting because life was getting difficult. And I think Timothy was potentially considering quitting as well. And so 2 Timothy is all about this theme of endurance, of to keep going and to continue on. And Paul is telling this guy who's not known for having courage to have courage. So a guy who might be considering quitting to not quit, to endure, to keep going. The problem is for somebody who's naturally inclined to anxiety and fear, endurance may be way out of their league. What about us this morning? How many of us are struggling to endure? How many of you are struggling to endure? This morning, there's people in this room, there's people who are listening online who are thinking of giving up. Some of you guys, you're thinking of giving up on your faith. You've walked with God for some time, and you're thinking about dropping out because life is getting hard. Some of you, you've been married for a year, for two years, for three years, for five years, for seven years, 15, 25, 30 years, and you're thinking about giving up on your marriage and walking away. Some of you guys, you're, you're thinking about, you have a gifting and calling from God. God has called you to do things. He's gifted you. He's empowered you to do things. And you're thinking of walking away from those giftings and callings. Some of you, you're trying to serve with somebody, and it's just getting hard. And you're getting tired of it. You're thinking about giving up. And unfortunately, there's some people who are listening today who are thinking about giving up on life itself. Like you just can't keep going on because it feels like the bombs are coming night after night after night after night, and you just can't do it. How do you endure? How do you keep on going? This morning, we're going to take a look at the answer to this question in 2 Timothy 2 about not just how to endure, but to thrive to not just endure personally, but to pass on hope to others. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How do we do that when the night comes and the bombs fall again and again and again? We're going to look at that today. You guys ready for this? It's going to be good, right? Paul starts off this section. He's giving this fatherly charge, this fatherly advice to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says this in verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others and endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So what is Paul telling Timothy to do? He's saying, be tough like a soldier, you know, be like a, a combat Roman centurion. Is he saying, be like an Olympic athlete who can just throw the discus and do all these things? Is he saying, be like a hardworking farmer? Is he saying, keep calm and carry on? Is he saying, work harder? Is he saying, man up? Is he saying, suck it up, buttercup? 
The problem is that Timothy wasn't any of these things. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a farmer. He wasn't an athlete. And neither are most of us. We're not soldiers. We're not athletes or farmers. Like Timothy, a lot of us have more fear than courage. We've been looking at the book of Judges, and we've talked about some of these characters. Many of us are much more like Gideon than Samson. We're afraid. We have anxiety. We have fear. And we don't feel like we can keep going on because the bombs of life keep coming again and again and again. The good news is this, and Jesus only ever brings good news. The good news is this. I don't think that's what Paul was trying to communicate. I don't think that was it, that was it at all. Look at verse 1 one more time. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace of God that he gives you in Christ Jesus. In this single verse, Paul provides Timothy and us with the key for living a life of endurance. The point that he was making is that strength flows from intimacy. Strength, you become strong through intimacy. If we're going to be strong, if we're going to endure, we need the strength that's only found in intimacy and connection with Jesus. If we're going to have anything of value to share with anyone else, it's going to flow from intimacy or closeness or relationship with Jesus. This is a foreign concept to us, though. In the world that we live in, the only way that you're going to make it is if you do it yourself. Nobody's going to come make your bed for you. Nobody's going to go to work for you. Nobody's going to brush your teeth for you. You've got to do it, right? That's just how life works. You have to do it yourself. There's no one else to do it for you. It's a foreign concept. And in our culture, we actually admire that. You think about the people who are self-made. You know, they've just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They can do it. The people that, that we admire, the, the one who came, you know, to this country with five bucks in their pocket, now they own this mega million-dollar company. We love that story, right? It's a good story. That's the American story. We like that. America, right? It's good stuff. Problem is, that's an American story, but it's not the story of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't work that way. That's not how strength works in the kingdom of God. God says this in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. In my ways, they're far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. You see, in God's kingdom, strength doesn't come from inside of you. Strength flows from intimacy with God. That's where it comes from. Last week, uh, second service, Pastor Ron was up here, and you guys know Pastor Ron has had a lot of health uh, issues. It's it's been a rough year for him, but praise the Lord, he's here. But uh, last week, he was going to do a communion for us, and he just felt attacked by the enemy, and he just felt like these voices in his head, you can't do this, you're weak. And he said, no, I'm going to do this because God is with me. Pastor Ron, strengthened with his intimacy with God, he has that strength. But if we're honest this morning, how many of you feel weary, tired, burnt out, stressed out, like you just can't do it anymore because the bombs of life just keep coming again and again and again? A friend of mine uh, was in the hospital on, on Friday evening, and he's just had complication after complication. He just got over being sick and then had this other issue, and he'd be in the hospital. And just so many things in life are happening. Just the bombs keep coming and coming and coming. You feel weary this morning? You feel tired this morning? You feel stressed out this morning? Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest, refreshment, strength. They flow from intimacy with Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, he had a lot of disciples, but he called 12 guys to be his apostles. These were going to be his right-hand men. And he said this in verse, uh, Mark 3, verse 14, when he called them. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And then he goes on to say that they might send them out to preach and they have power to heal sicknesses and do all the, the apostle stuff. But he started off with, I want to be with you. That is the heart of God towards you. He wants to be with you. Our first call before doing is being. It's just to be with him. Jesus' primary call is to be with him. Devotion always precedes motion. Devotion precedes motion. Before we can do anything for the Lord, we must remember our first call is just to be with the Lord because strength flows from intimacy. So practically speaking, that sounds very churchy and, you know, that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? <laughs> Some of you guys are really practical and logical. You're like, yeah, so what do I actually do? Just put the cookies on the lower shelf where I can get them, please, all right? It's kind of like this. Okay, so I have been married to my lovely wife, Jen. Many of you guys know Jen. She's in with the kids right there. You guys can just wave right now. Um, if you hear the kids screaming, everything's fine. It's totally under control. I've been married to my wife, Jen, for 22 years or so, almost in September. This is our wedding. Notice all the hair? my Good, right? Yeah. I was good looking. I was good looking and I was skinny and yeah. Anyways, that was a long time ago. So I've known my wife for 22 years or so, more than that. um, And I know a lot of information about my wife. And some of you guys know some information if you know her too. Like she likes flowers and she likes floral things and she likes art and she likes all this. You know, I know information about my wife. I know her likes and her dislikes. But more than that, I know my wife. I have intimacy, I have friendship, I have connection with her because we share things more than information. If you're going to be close to God, how do you be close to Jesus? It takes three things, time, intentionality, and frequency. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to do it often. But there's another ingredient to, to intimacy or closeness in any relationship, and that's sharing life together. When I, at work and the things that I do in my job, um, the people that I lead, I always am telling the people that I lead, for the people that they lead, let them know you. Let them know who you are. Because if you do that, you're going to get to know them. You're going to have a relationship. And that's the basis for all work to happen. Um, and so if we're going to know Jesus, we have to have a relationship with him. And that means we share things with him. Real intimate relationships come from sharing real intimate stuff about your life. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. When we are real with one another, when we are honest with one another, we can have a relationship. It's the same way with God. If you're going to have a relationship with him, you have to talk to him and tell him what's really going on with your life. He knows all things, but he wants to hear it from you. You bring all of who you are to the Lord in prayer. You speak your heart to the one who loves you. If you're hurting him, you, you let him know. If you're joyful, you praise him. If you're angry, you tell him, I'm angry, Lord, or I'm angry with you even. If you're upset, let him know. Psalms 55, 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. God says, bring your burdens to me. Bring your cares to me. I want to know you. I want to hear from you. Because Jesus wants to be intimate with us. 
Another thing I've learned about relationships, I've been married for 22-ish years, like I said, I've learned a thing or two, is that there, there, to be real closeness or intimacy, it always has to go both ways. It can't just be one-sided, right? Same thing with, with the Lord. If I'm going to be close to Christ, I need to find ways to hear what he has to say. What is he saying to me? The primary way we hear, that we hear the voice of God is through the word of God. He speaks to us in other ways as well, but that's the primary way. If you're going to be close to Jesus, you have to find ways to listen, to meditate, and think about his word, to what he says. Question for you this morning. When was the last time that you got alone with God's word without distraction and just read it? As you read it, no matter where you are in God's word, look for Jesus. It's kind of like, who, who remembers Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? Am I just dating myself? Okay. Where's Waldo was this guy with this little funny hat, and there would be a book with Where's Waldo, and there's all these little images, and you had to find Waldo, right? He's, he's always hiding somewhere. The Bible is just like that. Here's the key to the Bible. Understanding the Bible, you need to know one thing. It's all about Jesus. And so I'm, personally, this week, I'm reading First Kings. I'm reading about King Solomon, and in there, I'm seeing so many things about Jesus. He's teaching me who he is. He's teaching me what he's like. He's generous. He's kind. He's wise. All of the Bible is like, where's Waldo? Teach me who you are, Jesus. Search me and know me. As we read God's word, he teaches us. He speaks to us intimately about who he is. When you have real intimacy with Jesus, here's the key. When you have real intimacy with Jesus, you, be, you begin to draw strength from him. David, in the Bible, we read about him in the Old Testament. He was this man, the Bible says, who was a, a man after God's own heart. He was intimate with God and he drew strength from God. He was this mighty warrior who just like, just, did amazing things, just knocked out all kinds of enemies. But then he wrote like Psalms and, you know, he had long hair probably and played the harp, you know. Um, but he did all of it. He loved the Lord. He was intimate with God. He drew his strength from God. First Samuel 30 talks about the story. David was at this really low point in his life. So him and his mighty men, they were out just taking care of business, busting heads with some of their enemies. And they come back to their camp and they find that their city had been burned with fire. So they come back, it's smoldering, kind of like those images of London that we saw earlier. And all their wives and all their children have been carried off. And they come back, everything's on fire, their families are gone. And then his mighty men, who are all pretty buff dudes, turn around and look at him like, it's your fault. David was having a bad day. <laughs> David was not doing well. He was stressed out. And then he does something very significant. We read about in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The bombs were dropping left and right. His family was taken captive. His friends were turning against him. They wanted to kill him. But David knew this principle well, that strength flows from intimacy. That word strengthen in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30 means to fasten upon. You think about if, if you were to go rock climbing, which is something that I don't advise or do, um, they put these little, these little stakes in the rock and they fasten themselves and they hang the weight of their life from that thing. That's not something I do. <laughs> but it says that David, he fastened himself to who God is. He fastened himself to the promises and the character and the person of God. He strengthened himself in the Lord because he knew that strength flows from intimacy. Question for you this morning. When the bombs are falling in your life, who or what do you hang on to? Who are the people that you hang on to? What are the distractions? Scrolling instantly, watching cat videos. 
That's just me. What are the hobbies? What are the things that you hang on to when you're hurting, when the bombs are falling? Where do you turn to? When we need to have strength, we usually are looking for a mountain, something or someone that's bigger and stronger than us. And some of us just think that we're like Rambo and we can handle it. Psalms 121, 1 through 2 says this. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No. My strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. When we're struggling to endure, we don't need a mountain. We need a God who made the mountains. That's who we need. And like David, we fasten ourselves to that mountain, to the person, the character, the work of God. That's how we get a strength that endures. When I don't have what it takes to endure, I can hang my life on Jesus. With that understanding, let's take a look at this text again. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Maybe we'll get past verse 1 today. I don't know. We'll see. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Be strong through the grace that Christ gives you in Christ, that God gives you in Christ Jesus. I think of this image of a mother nursing her baby, and, and the baby gets the nutrients from the mother's milk. What Jesus gives is grace. It says in, in, in John that he's full of grace and truth. So what he gives is all he can give is grace because he's full of it. He's full of it. He gives grace and he gives truth. Before I met my wife 22-ish years ago, um, the, when I was dating her or hanging out together, um, one day she borrowed my sweater because it was cold, which, men, we love to do this. Yeah, take my sweater, you know. Uh, so she had my sweater and eventually it came back to me and it smelled really good. It smelled, it smelled like a girl, you know. It smelled of perfume and all that. And I could just kind of still smell it a little bit. Listen, grace permeates everything that comes into contact with Jesus. Everything that he comes in contact is permeated with grace. And so as we come to him, as we come to know him, we get grace because that's what he is. He's full of grace and truth. So grace has two lenses or two sides of a coin. There's the internal part and there's the external part. First, the internal lens, grace for me. Verse, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. Last week, I had a conversation with a friend, and this person felt like they had screwed up their life so badly that there was no place for them in this church. And I said, no, 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 you forgot. That's what qualifies you to be part of this church. Because it's for grace you've been saved, not of your own. That's how we make it. That's how we get it, is by grace. The whole point is that I don't have what it takes, neither do you. We've been born in rebellion against God, and nothing we ever do will meet a standard. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, paid our debt so that we could be part of the family of God. On my own, I don't have the ability to please God, and neither do you. On my own, I can't serve him. I can't love people. I can't do anything. The problem is I think I do. Sometimes I think I do. And when I don't live up to my expectations, I feel like a failure. I feel condemned. I feel like giving up. I feel like I can't endure any longer. Galatians chapter 3 says this, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? It's by grace we've been saved, and we can't do it. That's the whole point, and it's the good news. That's very good news. As we hang on to Jesus, we find that he's full of grace for us, and we begin to understand that we can't do it anyways. I can't have enough faith, but he can give me faith. I can't love my spouse or my, 
my two-year-old kid or, or my neighbor or the guy on the motorcycle who passed me recklessly this morning on the freeway. <laughs> Was that you? Sorry. Um, I can't love them, but he can do that in me. I don't have what it takes for serving God, but he does. I might feel like giving up on life itself, but he says, I will give you life. You see, grace changes everything. If we're going to endure, strength flows from intimacy. The second part of grace is external. Grace is not just for us, it's grace for others. When we live our lives trying to be strong on our own, it skews our view of other people. When I think, yeah, I can do this, I'm doing pretty good. And then I start to, to look at other people's lives. I'm like, well, I'm doing it. How come you're not doing it? I'm like, yeah, you got a problem, don't you? Yeah, you do have a problem. <laughs> but when I see grace and realize there's no way I can do this, and, and God is working and he's moving in my life, I can start to love people. I start to have grace for other people, which is a miracle. It's magic. So what's the big idea? Paul wasn't telling Timothy to work harder, to do more, to keep calm and carry on, to suck it up, buttercup. There's a fly up here. Paul was giving Timothy the key to endurance. As we have intimacy with Jesus, we're fed on grace. It makes us strong so that we can be strong like a soldier. We can be competitive like an athlete. We can be hardworking like a farmer. But some of you think, I don't think so. I don't believe this. I'm not sure about that. Or maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're like, that's not real. That's not going to actually work. That can't happen. Some of you are really practical and logical. Like, hmm, I don't know about that. Listen to what verse 8 through 10 says. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. And this is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be changed. So I'm willing to endure anything. If we can trust that Jesus can give us the grace to endure because he's the only one who ever in history predicted his death, resurrection, and pulled it off. If you can do that, you can probably do this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a living hope. Finally, the text ends with this brief quote from a song or a poem that was familiar in the church at that time. This is verse 11. See, I told you we'd get there eventually. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And that's the message of grace, that Jesus is faithful even when we're not. He is faithful even when we're not. Friends, that's really good news because we're not very faithful. That's the message of grace. So what's the big idea? What's the point of all this? What do we do with this before we go out and get our Sunday, Sunday on Sunday? Three questions for you this morning. What's one area in your life where you need endurance this morning? Where you feel like the bombs are dropping and you can't just keep going on? What's burdening you this morning? What are you trying to do or achieve? Where do you feel like you can't go on? Second question is this. What mountain are you looking to for strength? I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Third question is this. What are some ways you can grow in intimacy with God this week? What are some ways that you can both speak to and listen to your Savior? He wants to meet with you. He's the Lord who loves you. Finally, for us as a church, for Sanctuary Church, if we are going to make an impact in this world, strength isn't going to come from our ability or what we can do. 
Look at what Jesus said to a really faithful church in Revelations chapter 2. This is a church who was passionate about the truth, doing what was right, but he said these words to them, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Jesus chose his apostles. He says, I want you to be with me. As a church, we can never, ever let motion precede devotion because strength flows from intimacy. If we're going to have any strength in this world, it's from being intimate with him. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, full of grace and truth, the only begotten of the Father. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And we look to you and we love you and we need you. Thank you so much. We ask these things in your name. Amen.